Okay, welcome. It's always special to be able to come and uh, share at CIMC. It's a place where I did a lot of my uh, training um, with uh, the founder, that, uh, with Larry Rosenberg, who I had lunch with today. And uh, I may share a little bit of our conversation with you tonight. Um, so for many years, it's probably 25 years ago or so, I don't remember exactly, I lived in town. I used to live out in Barrie, Massachusetts, where the Insight Meditation Society was. And I moved in here to, uh, to train with Larry. So I was a student here for many, many years and uh, mentored with Larry. And, and then we began teaching together, for, which we did for, for well over a decade. Um, and now I usually just come in once or twice a year and give talks. And it's really sweet because it's... Uh, this place, this community holds a really special, special place in, in my heart. And um, it's so beautiful to see there's some new folks here today. And also, how many people have been around a long time? Like more than five years here at the center coming. Okay, good. So probably if you're coming back that long, it's filled your hearts with something, right? There's something uh, meaningful. And, and I really think it's just quite precious that there are places like this on the planet where there's an opportunity to, to touch something that's not that often that valued in the busyness of our lives. So, um, so it's just really great to, to be here. And this evening, I just want to, first I want to just ask a couple questions, uh, and then I'll reflect on a particular theme. And the, the uh, so how many people have, done very little insight meditation before. Okay. Are there anybody that are ab- just, just new and just kind of came tonight out of curiosity? So everyone has some, most everybody has some experience with the techniques of meditation? Yeah? Okay. Good. And uh, let me ask you uh, tonight, in your practice, what you were doing, were you mostly trying to uh, practice mindfulness by coming back to a particular object, the breath or something else, to try to get a little bit of calm and steadiness? How many people were, that was your kind of intention in your practice? Good. Okay. Uh, how many people had, didn't have the intention to work just with one kind of thing, but just were very open and just letting experience come and go right from the start, sort of just more hanging out and being aware. Okay, good. And how many people went back and forth a little bit? Okay. <laughs> now, in this process of either being, so it's about a few more people, a higher percentage were working with one object, but quite a few people as well, practicing in a more open way. So for everybody, how much were you aware of the quality of effort that you were putting into your practice this evening. Just raise your hands if this was part of your practice. Okay, good. So, maybe a third. And how many people had no idea? They were just kind of doing it in a mechanical way. Just kind of waking up and coming back or... Okay, you can be honest. (laughs) No, I I know in my own practice, a fair amount of practice over the years has been okay, here's what I'm supposed to do. And when I'm not doing it and I remember, I try to do it again, right? It's kind of simple. Then there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, good. So why am I asking these questions? How many people feel like their objects that they were working with were, your priority was to serve simply the quality of your attention and being present versus the object Okay, just a few people. So that means that no matter whether your mind was wandering or whether it was focused or getting calm, whether you were working in a way that was more steady or more open, that there was just a sense of, of recognition whenever your mind was, was waking up and there was a certain ease in that. How many people just had that as part of your experience? And I'm, I'm asking for, okay, good. So maybe 10 people or so. So I'm asking that because I'm going to emphasize. So I'll try to uh, give an overview a bit, since there are a bunch of new people, of the fundamental process of the, 
of the path, um, which is learning to calm and steady the mind and the heart, and then to see clearly in a way that can transform our relationship to our experience. Hopefully in a way that serves the quality of our life. It's kind of a simple, simple agenda, okay? But within that, um, there can be an emphasis of a quality of effort that is steady, but that is also relaxed, and that really takes a value in a recognition of the mind's inherent capacity to be present. So, and, there's, that's, and that seems like a very obvious thing, right? Uh, if we look at it structurally, in every moment's experience, you have to know, you have to have some consciousness, some awareness arising in the moment, or you don't know, you, can't, you don't know anything, really. I mean, you don't, you don't know, uh, you don't know, there's no, there's no knowing, okay? So there's simple awareness arising in the, when we notice something, let's say seeing right now, there's the object, there's the eye, and then there's just some knowing that happens, right? Just a very simple level. And most of the time, we're, we're, we can know so many things that we're only knowing a few at a time, or we're knowing one. And often we're knowing, or we're caught up in our mind's processing of information, our interpretation, our judgments, etc. Right? So a lot of what, getting, and getting, thinking about the future and the past, which is all mental activity, or feeling the emotions, with thoughts, images, etc. And that can block, in a way, our awareness of what? Of just simply being present. What's so value about, valuable, or, or we can know when the mind is, we can know the mind's functioning as well. So what does any of this matter? Well, it matters because the path of Dharma is really allowing the mind, and often it's synonymous with mindfulness, but it's, it doesn't have to be. The mind that knows experience, that simple quality of mind that's inherent in the building blocks of experience, that that gets featured, that gets teased out, that gets emphasized. And that over time, when that gets, when that gets stronger, what happens? What happens when we start to bring a more clear noticing of what's actually happening in the moment into our lives? Just what's actually happening every moment. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, or thinking, or feeling. What happens? when you start to come to that function of knowing of things, the simple knowing of experience over time. What happens? So that's our exploration in a way in practice. Okay? So there's a teaching that the, the Buddha gave to someone who is highly motivated. And I'm going to use this as a bit of a frame. Highly motivated in practice. His name was Bahia. Has anyone heard of the Bahia Sutta? Teaching on Bahia? Bahia of the bark cloth. Why was he bark cloth? Well, he, I guess he was a bark cloth yogi. That's pretty hardcore, right? <laughs> I can't even, there's only, very, there's only a couple kinds of wool that I can have against my skin that don't make me go crazy. Very soft. I mean, so this guy's wearing bark, bark okay? So he was, he was hardcore. <laughs> Anyways, he was quite accomplished, and uh, he had followers, so here's the story. And uh, he had really good, what we call concentration, and could experience a lot of happiness. How many people get some happiness in your practice? You just watch your breath a bit, you feel some footsteps, right? You, you chill out, <laughs> you, you, you're at ease, and you come to be present, and then you start to feel good, right? The mind and the heart starts to just relax, and it affects the body too, doesn't it? Yeah? So you can get really good at this. Okay? That's part of practice. So this guy, he was really, really good. And he thought he was enlightened. But then he had this vision. Uh, it's called a, it's using an old archetypal system where they kind of have, have visions from uh, devas or other otherworldly beings, or you might get dream, something, someone came to him in a dream, you could say, and uh, said, hey, hey, buddy, sorry, I'm being 
You notice I'm not reading from the text? <laughs> so it's not meant to be quite literal. <laughs> um, said, hey, you're, you're not as far along as you think you are. You're actually not, you're not awakened. You're, you don't have this, your heart's not just totally full of, of peace and love and it's shakable. You, you're not, you haven't tasted something and you haven't, you're not abiding in total freedom. So he thought, hmm, what do I do about this? He was humble. He didn't have such an ego attachment to whatever he thought he had accomplished that he was like, no, whatever. <laughs> I'm okay, I'm awake, right? You can get attached to anything, by the way. <laughs> you can identify with, and that can happen in meditation too, where we think we've got something and then we, we hold on to it. And we identify with it and it creates separation. It's not freedom. So he was humble and uh, he, he, he asked this, this inner being, said, well, wh- where can I find someone that will clarify my doubt? That, or, not even doubt, but where I can find total freedom. And he said, oh, you can go see the Buddha. Uh, and he also had a premonition that he wasn't going to live that long. That his life was, he didn't know how long he'd live. So he was very motivated. So he went seeking for the Buddha and he found him. But the Buddha was on alms round, which means he was, going, he was walking with the other monks. He's going to get some food. And uh, you're not supposed to be disturbed on alms round. Okay, it's like the, you ever seen monks in Southeast Asia? Have you seen pictures of them? Or Okay, I was a monk for about a year. So you all line up and you go out and you walk slowly and you have your bowl and they put food in it and that's not the time to give teachings. And then you go back to the monastery and you have your food and then people come and then there's a time for teaching. So Bahia made this long trip and he, and he interrupted the Buddha in his alms round. He said, please teach me. It will be for, I don't know how, I don't, I don't know if I'll get this opportunity again. He was basically saying life is is fragile. I don't know if I'll be here. I don't know if you'll be here. Please teach me. And he said, now is not the time. Uh, He did this twice more while he was on alms rounds. He said, you know, come back to the monastery later. He said, no. He was very insistent. Uh, He was pushy and it was a good thing he was, I guess. So the Buddha stopped and said, okay, okay, Bahia. And he gave him a very pithy teaching. And this is kind of the heart uh, and this is used in different Buddhist schools. It's very big in Zen, and, uh, which is where I did my first training in Japan for years. Um, he said, in the scene, I just think it's essential, and that's why we're using it here. In the scene, there's just the scene. In the herd, just the herd. In the cognized, which means, this is interesting, which means the mental activities and emotions. So everything that's arising, even right now, in relation to hearing some information and processing it, because we do that, right? Even as, we're, even as we're listening to something, often our minds are processing. Or it might be right, right, like we get a little information then we think about it, or we form opinions and judgments, etc. Right? It's going on, the background of our mind is working a lot in that level. So even this level, when there's the cognized, there's just the cognized and he went through all, like, so it included all the senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and the activities of mind and heart that are of, from the inside, okay? He said, when there's just these experiences, he said, first he said, this is how you should train yourself. In the scene, just the scene. In the herd, just the herd. In the cognized, just the cognized. Sensed, in general, just the sensed. So we'll get back to him later. So this is how you should train yourself. What do you think? Doesn't that seem like a fast way to freedom? Potentially, if you can just be with your experience just as it is? Literally. So before I, before I, I came in to give the talk, I went outside a little bit, and uh, the air is, is kind of warm compared to the last few days. <laughs> and it was moist. It wasn't raining, but it was moist. And I was allowing myself to be touched by the words of this teaching. And there was an absolute fullness in the experience of just feeling the air. And there was a quality of the heart and the mind just being very fresh and full with an inner sense of nourishment that came from just, oh, yeah, just this, right? 
And how many people have heard in the practice just you know, be with things as they are? Has anyone used any questions in your practice like, how is it right now? Just, yeah, things like that where you're just reminding yourself to come to that absolute freshness, just things just as they are. Okay? And what's quite beautiful is that this can actually include, and now we're going to work with attitude, the attitude piece. This can include what's arising in the mind and the heart. Okay? So what do, do we think that our thoughts and our moods and our opinions get in the way of our mindfulness practice? Yeah. So mindfulness practice, just sort of to define it, it has a couple of, and, and we have to train this, so I'm, you'll see how it fills out, okay? So mindfulness practice has uh, a couple of aspects, and one actually is exactly what, what Bahia was, uh, was taught by the Buddha. It's present moment non-judgmental awareness. And non-judgmental means there's no manipulation, there's no negotiating. <laughs> how much time do we spend in our minds negotiating with things? Right? Thinking they should be this way when they're not. Uh, you know, making, trying to make sense of things rather than, oh, this is just the way it is. So the practice of mindfulness on one level is just, that's what it is. And so we use that in our practice for those people who are new or all of us. How much is a gentle, steady quality of, of being mindful emphasized? A sense of kindness. A sense of not beating ourselves up. Isn't that important? Yeah? And even when, we were, when I was introduced tonight, the sense of just relaxing. Yeah? Just, just take it in. And so another, that's another metaphor that's used for the practice is allow yourself to receive. It's not a metaphor. It's actually what you do. It's rather than, for example, when you hear a sound, often we'll think about that sound or we'll get, we'll, our mind will go out. What's the object? When actually what's happening is sound waves are traveling and hearing, hitting at the eardrum and they're being known. That's the first thing that happens. It's that simple known quality. So it's coming to this simple immediacy and coming out from underneath the layers of what comes often after that, which is our perceptions, which, you know, like you see this, and it's, it's just a sweater. Well, it's a sweater. There's a, there's a perception, and then it's, I don't know who likes this. I did this exercise and, uh, recently, because I, I, I work with faculty and kids at Phillips Exeter Academy, and I used, it wasn't the same sweater, but it was the same brand as Ibex. That was a couple weekends ago, and I, or a couple of Fridays ago, and I said, well, I said, it's a sweater. It's, it's, and some of them said, it's ugly. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> and I was trying to break it down to say, okay, there's seeing, right? There's just seeing, and then, and then we make meaning. Okay, then there's, okay, we identify it as a sweater. We perceive it. Yeah? Perceive it. it. And it makes sense. We have to do that with experience. It's a sweater, and it's black. We make that, right? We make that association. Then the next mental form, then the next level comes in, and we judge it. Right? So it's just sweater first, and black, sweater. That's what it is. And then it's even more than that. It's seeing and it's being known. It's something that's being known. So there's no judgment in that, is there? And look, it's very practical. You know when you're in a conversation with somebody and you can actually hear what they're saying and you, you, you let yourself really listen before you spin out and judge. And Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? When you're really, so this is all about attention, when you're really listened to before, and someone's not judging you. There's, there's a sense of full care and attention. So we're, we learn to come to that. It's non-judgmental. And then the second part of mindfulness, and this is where we train ourselves, because this capacity, because we're so overlaid with all of our conditioning, we have to train it, don't we? So then we have to remember. That's the second definition from the word sati, mindfulness. We have to remember to come back to either just being fresh, like the Bahia was saying, in the scene, just the scene, wherever we are, whatever is there. Okay? And for me, these instructions are absolutely, um, they're an invitation for deep relaxation and deep self-acceptance on that level because it just means whatever is, whatever is being known, we can be with that. 
we can relax with that. That is our gateway to wake up. So the, like when the next speaker was being sort of for promoed for next week, <laughs> it was taking one aspect of our experience. Difficult experiences can be, and I heard a couple oohs and ahs, right? Oh, that's so beautiful. No, and it's actually, it is beautiful, and it's not easy. So I'm not, I'm not like saying, oh, it's just easy. Is it easy to make difficult experience part of the path? Probably not so much. Until, until it is part of the path, <laughs> okay? Um, but what, is, what that is, is that that's, that is actually just a functioning of causes and conditions of the mind, of past things arising. And then how do we let them, how do we let them be known? How do, we, how do we touch them lightly? Like we might, it's very neutral and, and nice when the air is moist like it was earlier. I mean, just comfortable for this time of year. Very warm and it's easy to wake up to that, right? It's not so easy to wake up to difficult emotional experience and to let that be there as it is and to be nourished by it. So the second part of mindfulness training is learning to remember, both on one level just to be present, but also, and here's where the training comes in, Learning to come back to and train ourselves in objects which grow our steadiness of mind and heart. Okay? And that's very, very important. And that's why in the beginning when I said, are you working with a breath or do you work with an object? Yeah? So objects are very, and that's even like, that's a too crude a word, but it's, it's true. You're choosing something to attend to, to come back to. And it can be something in mindfulness, often we use very, in this tradition, we use very neutral, just natural processes. Yeah. Right? We're feeling a footstep, we're a breath. How many people work with sound sometimes, intentionally or, yeah, good. So that's more open awareness. Okay. How many people use body, like the body as sensation, as a grounding place, and as a place to cultivate that steadiness of mind and heart? Good. So it's remembering when we've forgotten, when we've gotten caught up in all these layers that are extra, right? And that can be quite painful and, and separating, suffering. The first noble truth that Buddha talked about, there is, this, there is this fact that we create this, that this is part of our conditioning. So that we learn to, to steady our attention on, on objects which help us to, what they're helping us to grow is that non-judgmental awareness, okay? And when that gets stronger, so you know when you feel three breaths in a row or uh, two-thirds of a breath <laughs> versus a, 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 like a tiny bit of a breath, <laughs> or you feel a few footsteps, you're in flow, or you go for a walk and then you, all of a sudden it feels like the walking is happening and you're not trying so hard, but awareness is there, you're starting to grow. Or we get this when we're, when we're in something that we love doing, when our interest is strong. You get to a place where your mind is more steady. Yeah? Right? So we're training that. Steadiness of mind. Okay? And in, the, in, in mindfulness, often there are what are called four foundations. How many people have heard of the four, the four foundations? Okay, so usually, so usually we train in really simple, like, and the first one is body, breath. Okay? It's accessible. It's here. The second one is actually learning, and this starts to open it up. We learn to be in touch with an underlying feeling tone of experience, which is pleasure or discomfort. How many people experience a little discomfort in the sitting? How many experience some real comfortable sensations in the sitting? Great. So, and those were, were those being known? Yeah. So you're actually practicing. I'm just saying, so this isn't... It's not, like it's, it, 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 it's not like it has to be uh, like, okay, I'm just focusing on sensation. Now I'm just focusing on pleasure or discomfort or it could be neutrality. It, you can select aspects, but it's actually much more organic than that. Okay? So we start to tune into a wider range of that. And the more our mind is steady, the more natural tolerance, the more we can hold experience. So if you're aware, if, you, if your mind is a little more not just fixated on the breath, for example, you're more aware and then you have a little, a little discomfort in your hip like I actually have right now and I'm going to move. <laughs> can be wise to move too. You don't have to sit like a <laughs> statue the whole time if it's not wise. <laughs> um, is that you actually, you actually can see that 
And when the mind is a little stronger, more open, because that's what happens, there's more continuity, it grows. Yeah? Our awareness, our, our mindfulness gets stronger, gets steadier, the mind starts to get steadier, then it can hold more experience, much more naturally, a wider range. So I'm ex- kind of explaining how the path can, can open. It's organic. And the third foundation is actually all the stuff of our minds and hearts. Images, thoughts, moods, opinions. Now, the, the problem that we have is that we get fixated and we, believe, we, we get tight, right? We get identified and then we separate ourselves and we create a little war inside. <laughs> but knowing can happen here too in the same way we can know a breath, in the same way we can know pleasure or discomfort or eh, it's just the way it is or neutrality. So how many people have had that experience many times in your life where something is very sticky and then the same story comes up and it's just not sticky. It's the same exact story. It's just not sticky. What happened? (coughs) What's the difference? Exactly. It's there, but it's not such a big deal. So, and then the fourth foundation is it's, it's, it's interpreted different ways depending on if you're using breath as a base or, but basically it's, it's wisdom, it's holding, it's holding wisdom. And if you use, the, use it from that, it's called the Anapanasati Sutta, which I think is a nice way of presenting it, where you use breath as a base and then you open, then it's just seeing the changing ephemeral nature of all experience in a way that uh, there's not a natural clinging and separation that happens, Okay. Dhamma. You've heard the word, this is a Dharma center, right? (laughs) So Dharma, which comes from the word Dhamma, uh, at its core, it's both the teachings that we're studying here, while you come, it's kind of this useful information that we take on and see if it's useful, (laughs) right? (laughs) Reflect on it and then see if we can apply it and then find if it's practice with it experientially and see if it's useful. And the, the other part of it, it's not another part, but it's the actual natural law of things. It's the natural flow of experience. It's impermanence. It's change. It's, it's just how, it's, it's just the nature of everything. Okay? Lawfulness. And it's not personal in, in a certain way, but it's also very personal. Because <laughs> we're people and we're experiencing things. So it's learning to, to see the natural law of cause, causes and effect and learning to actually see into, and our practice a lot is learning to study, to see from the place of awareness how cause and effect plays out again and again and again. From the simple, simple fact that the weather changed, right? Some system that was in the Pacific went across the country and gave us a big snowstorm. And, and then a big Arctic front blew through and it was, wasn't it really cold? Yeah, wow, brutal, right? <laughs> And then what? I don't know about this last one. Then something's coming up from the south, right? And now it's, it's changed. So these are, all, these are all based on cause and conditions at all these different levels. And they're just flowing through. They're working through. Okay? So dharma, and that happens in our lives too. It happens in, our, in, in all different levels of experience. And so dharma is actually learning to, to register this and that it's, it's lawful and, then, and to learn and align ourselves with what's going to help our hearts and minds to see in a way where we can make uh, skillful choices with the best we can with the changing flow of experience and change our inner relationship to a fundamental sense of actually knowing that Dharma change, both the cessation of things and the creation of things, is constantly going on. And a lot of it is not in our control in the way we'd like it to be. And some of it is. And what the, what the deep empowering teachings of Dharma is that we can cultivate, we can work directly with our hearts and minds so that we shift our relationship to what's actually happening inside and outside and align ourselves in a way that we don't, both don't get beat up so much and that we can actually have positive, compassionate, kind relationship with ourselves and others all through touching the quality, of, all through actually working directly with the quality of our minds and hearts. And the foundation for creating the possibility for this is learning to touch resources and grow them or uncover them that are more calm and steady and fundamentally open 
so that we can be in a different relationship with our experience. So it's not a different experience. It's like there's some uh, water in here, okay? And if I put some salt in here, maybe some of you have heard this metaphor. If I put some salt in here, a teaspoon, and I drank it, there's no salt, but then it would be salt. If I right, mix that, it would be salty, right? If I stuck it in this bowl, which was filled with water, fresh water, would it be salty? A little bit. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Maybe you could just, I don't know, maybe you have a salt, a good salt sensor. I don't know. <laughs> and then if you put it in a giant bathtub or a giant lake, you, same salt, okay? It's the same salt. But the container that it's being held in and how it interacts and what happens to it will change. And that's the same way uh, with Dharma. One of my, one of my first uh, teachers on a three-month retreat, I think it was in 1987, um, at the, out in Barrie was, was Joseph Goldstein. And I just remember coming in an interview and ex- ex- kind of explaining how some process of the, the heart and the mind opening through, this, through mindfulness and just being more steady and more aligned with the knowing mind and the open heart, that things were, things were in a bigger space. They were rising and passing in a way that was different. I was seeing things more clearly. There wasn't this push-pull so much. I mean, I'm not saying it was some big enlightened experience, but... <laughs> uh, and Joseph said, that's the way the practice is. He said, that's, w- that's what happens. Energetically, and in terms of your heart and your mind, there's an openness. There's a, there's a spaciousness. There's, I'm not... I'm paraphrasing. I'm getting the essence of it. I don't remember his exact words. That there's, and that's, that's the unfolding. It's not that the experience isn't there. It's not that we don't suffer. It's not that we don't have loss and... We often, I think, kind of misinterpret practices thinking it's going to go my way if I, everything's going to go my way if I take care of the present moment, then uh, it's going to take care of me. And actually, the teachings of the Dharma are this. And I, I've lived with this. One of my teachers in India, Munindra, he, he would say, he would say, if you take care of the Dharma, the Dhamma, it will take care of you. And I always thought, oh, great, then I'll be rich and happy and have a great relationship. And it's not what he was talking about. <laughs> I mean, that can happen, it's, but what he, was, what he was saying was that if you take care of the Dharma, if you really take care of your mind and your heart through the quality of your attention, then it will take care of the quality of your life. The fundamental relationship you have with the experience that are unfolding naturally will change. And he actually had such a bright joy and curiosity in living that uh, he was actually one of the reasons I'm probably sitting here right now, because that was uh, I spent like six months with him in Calcutta. I had jardia and dysentery and get hit by a bus, and you know I'd like I go be with him and Deepama, him and and I, I lived like four doors down from him in the in College Square in this uh, this vihara, this uh, place where like a Buddhist place, and then uh, I go see Deepama, heard of Deepama? She's a wonderful, wonderful uh, teacher. Just just female, beautiful, beautiful uh, being in the evenings. And I go with Mother Teresa sometimes in the day. And, you know, I was trying to do this. I was doing the spiritual thing, you know. <laughs> but it was very, it was very beautiful. Uh, actually, Mother Teresa was really beautiful, too. Her, her, her intensity of devotion. I met her and saw it in her little, she's like really tiny, looked up, these blue eyes, like really piercing. She's like, okay, she's not messing around. She was kind of like Bahia in a way. Like, she knew, she knew what her priorities were. She did. I was like, and she was full of something, no, I mean, good. <laughs> that she was like, her mission was very clear. It was, it was uh, quite impressive. So, um, so Menindra had this incredible freshness of exactly what this sutta is saying. Just, he was like, just be with your life as it is. Just keep looking into it exactly as it is. And then your heart grows. It gets stronger. It gets more open. So it's often, so this is the path, okay? And then there's a stability that can, that can come. And then that changes how we relate to things. Does this seem, I was going to say Greek, but some of you probably speak Greek, but, or at least know it, but uh, does, this, does this make, does this resonate with you? How many people just, I'd I like to raise your hands. I just want to make sure I'm connecting here. So just about everybody in the room. Good, because this isn't, I think that, that wisdom is natural and it's human, and this is just a really good kind of frame. 
I mean, I think it's a very useful frame. But you're, 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 you can, it's, it's natural. So awareness is natural. So the process, when our minds are getting caught, when we get, when we get really caught up in experience, when we can't, when the, 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 the water is really, like, it's salty. <laughs> There's not even any water there. It's just, ah, it's like burning. <laughs> then we have to, and this is the skill and the practice, then we have to train. And we have to limit our field so that we can come to places that are nourishing. So we often use, so as mentioned earlier, natural objects, and we can also use positive ones. So loving kindness practice, of wishing well, of doing, uh, wishing well for, you know, may I be happy, may you be happy, and compassion, may you be free from suffering, may I, may all beings. And the, the, these are the Brahma Viharas. And one that I find incredibly powerful that I use an awful lot, especially with uh, is, is wishing for people's success and happiness that are successful and happy or that I have some competitive relationship with to grow. May your happiness, joy, and success continue and increase. It's like, what? That's so counterintuitive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> A lot of these teachings are actually what are called against the stream. The whole Buddhist, they're going, there was a whole sort of, it's, it's kind of, and there was a whole organization for quite a while that was called Against the Stream, right? They took that and said, oh, okay. <laughs> but that, that simple teaching and that saying that our minds and hearts, we reorient them. But it's not, it's against the stream, but it's only, it's not against the stream of experience. It, it's against the stream of not seeing clearly. And there's a beautiful invitation to recognize, and that's, really kind of the essence of what I'm uh, trying to, to, to reflect on here, that the nature of knowing experience is very basic and inherent. Inherent in all of our experience. And that we just, through our training, we learn to, we learn to recognize that, learn to value it and to grow it. And that of course, when we do, so the two parts of the path are shamatha, which is learning to calm and steady, and then vipassana, which is seeing clearly, seeing in a special way that's transformative. That these, in a way, these work back and forth, so we work with specific areas and then we learn to open it up, okay? So that's training, and we do this as skillful, in as skillful a way as we can, and we need to find that we need to actually taste the fruits of it, or it's just, you know, most people are here, that are coming back because they've tasted some fruits in practice, okay? So that's one way to look at practice. And that the last part of my reflection is what this sutta is saying is that there's a way where you can unify both of these practices. So this sutta is doing that in a way. When you just are with what's there, okay, then that will, that calms and steadies your attention over time. And it's not, and this is, so this is an invitation to know about our effort. It's a matter of directing our effort and remembering. So you can say mindfulness is remembering to come back to something which strengthens our our practice, okay? And often we have to do that. But it's also just remembering to be present. Am I awake? You can ask yourself, am I aware or not? And even with a thought, even when a thought, and this is a, to me, this is a re, kind of a revolutionary shift in practice, which I didn't have for a long time. And I, I did a lot of training in Asia where the effort was just as hard, practice as hard as you can do to get to your object, to master it, to get really calm and blissed out, and then let's talk. Or they wouldn't. <laughs> then, <laughs> then we can do something else. And the amount of, and I had some experiences and stuff, but the amount of frustration that I went through by just like, like just, I, it was like almost anything else. It was pure effort and willpower. But it wasn't effective. It didn't actually grow. So how do we grow awareness? By continuity. By recognizing that we're aware and doing it more often. And neutral objects and positive objects help that. But the fundamental teaching the way we grow that is by being present. Is by being present again and again and again. And that doesn't take so much effort. That just 
is a remembering that we're present. Remembering that we're here. Remembering that knowing that awareness is functioning naturally. And then learn to recognize and, and have a little more rest. A little more ease with that. Just this simple knowing. And we have to remember, how do we remember? How do you remember when you're not present to be present? Recognize that you're not present. If you shake your head, like someone's like, I'm shaking your head, I don't know how to do it. Know that you don't know how to do it. Just right there. So, that's, so, that's a, so this is an attitude piece, okay? So don't take this as a literal, like... <laughs> Truth, take this as attitude, because that's what I'm doing now. I'm shifting into what, how, what helps continuity. If you find yourself getting confused, separate, just see if you can soften and open and just notice. So you can notice anything. You can do it in the, in the senses. So it can be see, seeing, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. Oh, thinking. They're all happening and being known. Okay. So right now, can you feel your, can you feel your feet touching? Yeah? Right? That, that's simple. So I directed you to do that, right? That's what mindfulness does when we're lost. It directs us. So we can do that. We do that with objects, and then we just do that. What's happening now? Am I aware? Or am I thinking? <laughs> and it's different than trying to penetrate than trying, it, it's curiosity, it's investigation, but it's not trying to, it's just coming to the knowing, the mindful function of just knowing. And then learning to recognize that and grow that, okay? So that's open. It's like we can, often we'll practice the, the little lens that's kind of closed. I gotta get the breath, I gotta get my footstep. And it's like, okay, good, use that. But also, and here's the other part, and this is how I like to teach and practice, is that that's valuable. So that's training, right? This is shamatha. This is the first part. That's training. But also, just as valuable. So if you can put this in your, in, in your mental structure of how to practice, I've found it helpful. So you can maybe check it out. <laughs> it's, 50, it's just as valuable to wake up wherever you are at any moment. No matter what you're practicing to steady your attention. Okay? They, they work together. So there's the unification of this open awareness... Right? So vipassana, vipassana is seeing clearly, anywhere, anytime. You can do it in a limited object, but it actually means just seeing clearly. It's not about the object. So if we can, if we can, put, it in our, if we can put it in our kind of practice structure to, to recognize that whenever we wake up, wherever we are, even if we're working with an object, or if we're doing open awareness, then that's more of a priority. But it's just as valuable. Just that, that knowing, that really simple recognition of awareness, here or here. Sure, okay, be wise, grow this, come back to the breath, right? But also know, oh, thinking, caught, hearing. It's all, it's all welcome. And in this way, when we learn to, you'll see, or I've noticed in people I've worked with, that there's, there can be a much more fluid balance of attention and that this naturally can grow a kind of continuity where the steadiness of mind and the clear seeing are co-arising, okay? It's just a natural, so we have to prioritize the simple waking up and then learning to rest and recognize and, and relax with that. It's like relaxing and resting on experience rather than wherever it is so that so that, that quality, the mind and heart slowly opens and grows, okay? And then more can come in naturally. So uh, let, me, let me go to the last part of the sutta now. So how does wisdom grow? So the last part is, how, what is, what is wisdom then? So in the, the Bahia Sutta, there's a couple of ways. One is, I think, kind of the deep, the deep way we often think of practice. Um, where, and so in the sutta, it says, when, and the Buddha said to this to Bahia, when for you there is only the seen in the seen, the heard in the heard, the cognized and the cognized, the sensed and the sensed, etc. Everything. When there's just what is there, then there is not you, right? As in the separate you that is interpreting experience right now. <laughs> that you is neither in the object nor in the subject. 
nor anywhere in between. This is the end of suffering. Stress and suffering. Unhappiness. So that's deep, right? And that's 100% the mind where there's enough steadiness and when it meets an object, when it meets, then there's, there's no fundamental reflex of separation. It dissolves for moments. We have, in, we, have in, we have little moments of that naturally. Little bits of letting go of that separation. In a cup of tea, being on a mountaintop, making love, or all, like there's just moments when, I don't know, maybe none of those register for you, I don't know. <laughs> uh, there are moments in our, they're not, none of them are guaranteed. <laughs> But there, there, it's a human capacity when there's a, just a... And we feel the relaxation. We feel the opening. We feel the letting go, right? We just, there's a letting go, but it's through a direct connection. So a great uh, Zen master, Dogen, said, intimacy is awakening, right? That's when, when awareness... That's when objects, life, and awareness meet. You're not going out. You're not... There's no, none of this extra mental energy. So there's a, things are really as they are. Just, ah, just that air. Just a sip of tea. Just, right? In the scene, just the scene. And there's momentary collapses. Just momentary. Little, we don't even have to recognize. And there's a nourishment in that. Okay? There's an inner sustenance. So that's one level. Uh, and I think that's what the sutta is getting at. Trying to put words on something you can't put words on. But there's another meaning that I find very helpful, and that's in terms of the thinking mind, and we'll finish with this part, where the more that we can open, as the sutta says, the more that we can actually open to the fullness of our life, including all of our, and letting ourselves wake up and know, not to get rid of, but just a light recognition that thought is happening, that emotion is happening. We start to actually get to know how our minds... So I was asking about attitude. Our minds are relating to experience. So often when we practice, greed is actually, some, some energy is leading us and we don't even see it. We don't even know. We don't know what's motivating us. We don't, and then we're down the road and, it's, and we're like, wait, how did I get here? <laughs> so this is actually, it's an open sensitivity to the full. So the four, if you want to call it four foundations, it's not even, it's just life, okay? The fullness of it. We start to be sensitive to a wider range of experience, including our inner layers of reaction to it might be gross levels of thought or to, to anything. We start to be open to the fullness and then we have a sensitivity to what's actually driving us. And there's a curiosity and interest at this very inner level. But without making it a psychological priority, it's just part of what's available to us. And then when this happens over time, then our thoughts... And this has, and I found this myself, you actually get more information from thinking without psychologizing or trying to figure it out, and then insights can come. You see more things without trying to get rid of the thought. It can be there. And you get, you get more information. You get to know your mind much better. And then sometimes you just have an insight which can be in thinking or not thinking about, wow, some things that have been driving us. You see the causes and conditions in a much clearer way and something comes out that's useful knowledge. So it's not at all at war with thinking. It's actually very, very helpful for daily life. <laughs> they both are. But I'm saying with this, with this uh, approach, then, and one of my teachers, Utejaniya, he says that insights are very uh, individual and that they're impermanent too. <laughs> so you have to, so th- but they're individual. So it could be thinking, it could be not thinking, can be this like deep non-separation variety or it can just be like oh I didn't see that pattern of why I was doing that and then you see it and you have some freshness and there's some openness and then a little shift happens because you've seen something uh, the other thing but the other thing is that they don't last so you have to keep nourishing the conditions of this continuity of, of attention okay of really valuing that that curiosity that how is it to be right now? And then learning to recognize and rest in the attention, grow it as much as we need to, right? 
with our practice. This is our formal practice. And also, uh, the last thought, actually, I was, and I'll, I'll finish with this. Um, uh, I, was, I was meeting someone today for tea who's a friend and a practitioner, someone I'm friendly with. And uh, I was asking them about how, like, when they practice just being aware, right? Just like this open, kind of just being in the flow of experience and waking up. And, and when they use technique in daily life. And I thought the answer was perfect. They said, well, I'm actually, you know, I just said, tell me about your practice a little bit. And they were explaining. I said, well, in my daily life, I'm pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty aware, and I just use this kind of flowing kind of awareness, which is more open. But then when I'm with colleagues and in meetings, <laughs> then I have to remember to watch my breath <laughs> or to feel my feet on the ground. <laughs> and then I, it just reminded me, ah, in relationship, we need all the help we can get. <laughs> okay, so I think I'll end with that. And uh, as we come into silence, I'll just uh, repeat, the, repeat the words of the Bahia Sutta and see if you can just take them in and let them just be as they are. Let them wash through this open receptivity of mind and heart. This is reading from the sutta. Train yourself in this manner. In what is seen, there is only the seen. In what is heard, there is only the heard. In what is sensed, there is only the sensed. In what is cognized, only the cognized. This is how you should train yourself. When, for you, there is in what is seen only the seen, and what is heard only the heard, what is sensed, only the sensed, is cognized, only the cognized, then bahia. There is no you in connection with what is seen, heard, sensed, or cognized. There is no you there. When there is no you there, you are neither here nor there, nor anywhere in between. This, and only this, is the end of stress and unhappiness. Upon hearing the words of the Buddha, by his mind cleared, clinging and grasping, greed and aversion ended, and all self-referential views were extinguished. Resting in simple knowing, tasting a bit of freedom here and now. sharing the merit of this practice of listening to the Dharma. May the fruits of our practice truly be a benefit to the quality of our own lives, to those in our lives, and in the interdependent web of life that we all inhabit, to all beings everywhere. May we and all beings be safe, be happy, and be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.